If you're having church problems, I feel bad for you, son. I got 95 problems, but the Pope ain't one. I'm the one they accuse of theological schism. Take issue with the Catholic catechism. My critics say that my theology is junk. This is my hood, I'm an Augustinian monk. He comes from a town in Germany. Heard this guy Tetzel preach a sermon. He was preaching the word, it's absurd, he heard. You can buy your way out of purgatory. Got beef with this guy, he's heretical. I look in the Bible, I'm exegetical. He wants cash for some church with a dome in Rome. But his teaching is clearly antithetical to the teaching of the church and of Christ Jesus. With great indignation, he wrote 95 pieces. Nailed to the door, they're all, hey, what you done? He got 95 problems, but the Pope ain't one. Preach it. Welcome to the Church Society podcast. As you may have guessed from that unconventional introductory theme tune, we're talking about Luther this week as we celebrate the 500th anniversary of uh, the nailing, or perhaps not, of the 95 Theses to the church door in Wittenberg. And I'm celebrating it by chatting to James Carey, author of A Monk's Tale, a play which is touring the UK at the moment and from which that opening song was taken. We'll be hearing a little bit more of the play later in the show, uh, but here's my interview with James. I'm chatting this week with James Carey. James Carey, uh, comedy writer, author, member of General Synod, professional podcaster, um, <laughs> <laughs> implies that I make money from podcasts. Well, we, we both know that's not possible. Well, we do. Um, you just launched a new podcast uh, this week, didn't you? Tell us about that. Yes, um, my long-standing friend, who was also a fellow comedian at one point, Barry Cooper, who um, uh, then ended up going off to waste his life doing Christianity Explored uh, with Rico Tice, um, and then uh, was a great loss. Uh, yeah, it was a great loss to the comedy movement, but um, he's gone off to do that, uh, which has been wonderful. And so we've stayed friends, friends, but he's now moved to California. No, Florida. He's moved to Florida, slightly near California, um, but where things look very different. So I thought it might be fun if we did a podcast from either side of the pond and talked about theology and uh, culture and church and the arts and books and that kind of thing. So that's Cooper and Carey. Have Words is the name of the podcast. It's not etched in my brain. I've got another podcast called Sitcom Geeks, which is about a sort of slightly boringly technical uh, blog about writing situation comedy. So, um, so yes, I am a podcaster, but <laughs> it's not a profession, sadly. There you go. Much more experienced at this than I am. Um, do you look those up uh, if you have an interest in writing sitcoms and or hearing about Christians uh, chat about culture and the world and all of those uh, good things. Um, so uh, one of the uh, things that you've done recently, James, is write this play called A Monk's Tale, which is, I say play, it's really hilarious comedy sketches and musical numbers about the Reformation. Sort of uh, to celebrate what, what we're all calling the 500th anniversary of the Reformation, or at least the event <laughs> which sparked the Reformation. So for 499 years, we, we've managed quite well, <coughs> excuse me, with, without a hilarious comedy sketch show um, about Martin Luther. Uh, can you just t- tell us why you thought this was a good idea and um, what you were hoping to achieve? Yes. What are you playing at? That was the question, really, wasn't it? Um, it's a very good question. Um, I was very keen to do uh, to do something for the Reformation. I'd been I'd, I'd written a play called uh, The God Particle a few years ago, and that had been touring, and I'd noticed that 
uh, people really, really liked it. Uh, it was mainly in churches, and people who go to church just don't see their faith represented on television. The, the BBC has a total tin ear for religion. Um, and so when you actually put something in front of them, which slightly talks their language and chimes with their experience of how it feels like to be a Christian, people really respond to it. And I thought, well, what could I do? Um, 2017, it's a 500th anniversary, and this is of the Reformation. This is something that I studied at school and I studied at university. I have a degree in theology, B.A. Ons, Dunelm. Um, so uh, <clears throat> finally, finally it comes into use. Yes, I did papers in the Reformation. I did Reformation studies. I did the pre-Reformation papacy from Martin V to Martin Luther. I didn't and, even know um, who Martin V was. Was he a pope? Martin V was the Was uni- he a holy unifying... Roman emperor? No, God, uh, he, Martin V was the... When there were two popes at the same time and they'd excommunicated each other um, with the Avignon papacy, they said, right, let's have a new pope to replace both of the other ones. Both of the existing ones basically said, no, no, we're still pope. And so now there are three popes all excommunicating each other. Uh, but Martin V emerged as the credible candidate. Um, and um, so, yeah, I studied all that sort of stuff and then thought it would be good to do a show about the Reformation. And because I'm a comedy writer, I only really know how comedy works. So it would have to be a comedy. Um, I can't tell if drama's working because I, don't, I, don't, I can't measure a stunned silence. But I can, I can hear if people are laughing and that the jokes work. Excellent. Well, I went to see it last week, and I, I promise you there were a lot of people laughing, not just me, um, although I... Although you I, do laugh wonderfully. I do laugh quite loudly and, and quite well. But I was yes. sitting next to two teenagers who were almost wetting themselves at various Brilliant. points. So it genuinely is very funny. Yeah, well, it was designed with teenagers and children in mind. It's not a kids' show, but it's a family show. But partly because my kids, who are nine and seven, they love horrible histories, which is great. It very much has that kind of feel. Yeah, and that that was intentional. And I realised that the best thing about horrible histories actually are the songs. So I thought this show is really five or six songs with some sketches in between. And, and some truly brilliant rhymes. But, uh, I particularly enjoyed uh, rhyming St. Veronica with something which was Iconica. Iconica, yes. This one is Iconica, yes. So James Sherwood uh, wrote uh, some of the songs. Uh, he was a friend of a friend. He's a vicar's son, actually, although not, not a believer himself. Um, but he's sort of more familiar with the world. So he wrote that song and a song about Wycliffe and the Lollard. Why wouldn't you celebrate Lollard's you know, Bible, 15th century Bible translators with uh, a country and Western number. Um, so we tried to do all that. And I, so my, I partly wrote it with my kids in mind because they say they love horrible histories. But again, horrible histories and the people who write it, the people who conceived of it, think religion is stupid. And they always portray it as stupid and irrational and petty and... You know, there's an element of 21st century sophistication, which is, look at these crazy people and look what they thought. And you think, oh, right, our, our society's better, is it? <laughs> I mean, we don't die of plague so easily, but... Um, I think um, you might have been the one who shared it, the piece that David Mitchell wrote um, yes. recently about actually, mm. without religion, you know, our society is actually not that great. No, exactly, yeah. And even even David, who is a confirmed agnostic. Um, so I wrote this... Um, uh, show and uh, yeah, people have really responded to it. And th- again, they hear stuff uh, 
they hear stuff they just wouldn't hear anywhere else. There is so there's lots of stuff in it for people who have literally no, you know, we say people who don't even know which Martin Luther we're talking about or which Luther, you know, it's, this could be Lex Luther or TV Detective Luther. Um, so we try to keep people with us as we go. But then there's also some pretty detailed stuff. There's this sketch um, where you've got the disciples discussing uh, who's going to be in charge now Jesus has ascended into heaven. And so Christians love that sketch because it assumes you sort of know a bit about the gospel. But if you don't, it sort of doesn't matter. There's enough there. So, yeah, it's been really fun to to delight audiences um with something that is incredibly important and in the writing i had all it's one of the hardest things i've ever had to write as it turned out and i had it's called a monk's tale because at one point i thought it was going to be um like uh, a canterbury tales type show where you have people in a tavern in the 1530s um taking it in turns to tell stories about um luther and erasmus and the pope and all that kind of stuff you should have done that that sounds brilliant it does sound brilliant. That's why I decided to do it. Couldn't make it work. It was it was impossible to work out. You've got modern day people playing 16th century people telling stories about the 14th century and you're starting to think, what is happening now? Yes, and, <laughs> and um, uh, is the audience really going to follow yeah, all yeah, of yeah. that? It was, it, was, it was far too clever by half, so um, I abandoned that and ended up with this. And I also realised that I couldn't tell the whole story of the Reformation and and I couldn't and there's no point trying, so I really focused on what the 95 theses actually say, and and I try to tell that story forwards rather than backwards. Sort of looking rather than saying, in 1517 Martin Luther made this amazing declaration about um, about he wanted to split the church in two and justification by faith. I mean that's none of that is in the 95 Theses. None of it was in his mind. He didn't have a problem with purgatory. Um, he didn't really have a problem with indulgences. He just thought that they shouldn't be sold quite so blatantly and flagrantly. Um, and that, you know, Christians should be taught that there should be humility and that the that the, that the money you're giving is penance. Um, so he was trying to clean up the system, but at the same time, he was still thinking a lot about how justification actually works. Yeah, it's very easy for us, I think, to conflate all the things that kind of Luther went on to, to kind of think and work mm. out and do with what Luther was thinking and doing in in 1517 and, yeah. and sort of read all of that back in without yeah. really, um, yeah, paying attention to the, the chronology. Like Magna Carta, um, which I actually I went to see in Magna Carta at... Um, uh, at Salisbury Cathedral uh, last week and um, it's one of those things where even then I didn't stand and actually read it the writing is absolutely minuscule yeah and presumably but, it's written in Middle English isn't it yeah the toughest form of English that there is according to our <laughs> according to Monk's Tale um, but the um, it's uh, it's written John didn't sign it and it was not it was not deemed to be significant and it, it sort of became a bit of a thing retrospectively but at the time also it contains stuff about fishing <laughs> i don't know if you know this but this fishing is always document. very important i mean i don't know how we're going to manage brexit because of the fishing i mean <laughs> yes, is that, I, well, yeah. it is partly about you know that. island but nation it's very it's, important yeah. so the constitution of america is partly based on magna carta so there is a legacy yeah, to it i bet it, they don't have the fishing bits in theirs i probably they probably don't it might be the, the 12th amendment that they never talk about i don't know 
Scottish yeah, High School. Yeah. Um, the right to bear fish. I don't know. It's, it's <laughs> something like that. Um, so yeah, it, it, so I just tried to get to the to the root of the actual document itself, and because it really isn't a long document, you can, it's like and it is like a BuzzFeed list. It's ninety five points one after the other and each are about one or two sentences a list a listicle um so yeah it's so i was just trying to get i thought if i can achieve one thing with this show and even that's debatable um it is to get people to understand what the 95 theses roughly are and then maybe they'll go and read an actual book um, which will tell them facts that would be nice <laughs> well than, certainly at the um at the show that I went to, they were uh, selling copies of Mike Reeves' little booklet for a pound. Um, right. So hopefully some people will have taken that and um, absolutely learn that's a bit very more much the idea. About that. I don't, I don't sell those books because I've got my own merch and I don't want to undercut yeah, yeah, myself. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No. <laughs> but, uh, but yeah, no. But lots of churches make their own provision for exactly. that, and I'm obviously and extremely happy for them to do that. We we have uh, lists on the Church Society website of all the best Reformation books out there. Uh, at different levels so uh, if you're someone who's thinking I might like to read up a bit more about that go and check that out uh, Andrew Cinnamon did a lot of research there's a fabulous little book for children called the Reformation ABCs which he recommends oh, yes. very very highly yeah. um, so if you're thinking you need a basic introduction that's a place to start yeah. um, so uh, just I, I, I absolutely think you set, you've achieved what you set out to in terms of delighting your audiences with something Christian and something that helps us to understand a bit more about our church history. I, w I just was thinking more generally, why do you think it is important for Christians to understand something of our church history? So I was just reading a, a piece this morning, which, which makes the point that this is a quite obscure event. Certainly if we're just talking about the 95 Theses, a quite obscure event that yeah. happened in a different country 500 yeah. years ago. Yeah. We're not Lutherans. Yeah. In fact, he would say we're not Christians. Well, exactly. Why, <laughs> why, why is it important for us to, to even know or care about these kind of things? Well, um, there are lots of things there. And if you'd asked me uh, probably a month ago, I would have said how important it is that we understand the 95 Theses. But actually, um, a slightly broader answer to your question is that Christians need to understand their history and their heritage because only then will they understand their own culture. And the secular culture in which we live, uh, which has good things and bad things in it, but it is, um, it is not interested in the Christian story at all. And therefore, um, you do need to cling on tightly to your own heritage and history, um, to, uh, because that is the thing that has shaped you and your worldview. And, and also, that heritage and history has been shaped by the Bible, the Gospel, by the Lord Jesus Christ. And therefore, we need to understand these stories and tell them to each other. Um, and other cultures get this very strongly. You know, they are telling each other's, you know, they are telling their story to each other and reinforcing that story all the time. And uh, we in the self-loathing nihilistic West um, have done everything we can uh, to assume that we are and have always been the bad guys. Um, despite the fact that we're the only culture in history that abolished slavery, um, for example. Um, so we, we have all of this um, embarrassment about the Crusades and all of this, uh, you know, things that the church have done wrong in the past, which compared to, you know, other cultures and histories are no worse, if not better. But we need to understand and celebrate and enjoy 
our culture together um, because otherwise we are not going to be able to withstand the pressure of secularism, um, which is, you know, uh, in a very, very good, strong position at the moment. So that's part of it. I wonder if there's something peculiarly British about that as well. I mean, particularly when you talk about, um, you know, wanting to make ourselves the bad guys. I don't get Mm. the sense that American Christians, for example, are, are... constantly wanting to to see themselves as the bad guys in history certainly not on the religious right no whereas the secular liberal left uh, will sort of do seem to be really determined to say that america is a bully and shameful and a terrible place and you just think in in the grand scheme of human history america is a pretty sweet deal and why do you think everyone wants to move there um, uh, and the same with the uk and with with western europe generally um so clearly i've been reading um uh, Murray's book called The Strange Death of Europe. Um, but um, but I, I do think these stories are important for us to tell each other. And also then, if we can see our stories come from the Bible, we will then be um, more inclined to go back to the Bible and to enjoy and celebrate the Bible because God's Spirit through the Bible is the thing that's going to change us to be more like Christ. Our, our history and culture won't do that, but they're important. But we need to rejoice in our roots and our heritage so that we read them in the Bible and so that we allow God to change us by his spirit. And I think, you know, something like the story of Martin Luther does that in such a great way, doesn't it? So partly you get his his conviction of the gospel through reading the word, um, Mm -hmm. you know, so how exactly that works out. But as he reads Romans 1 and comes to a, a new understanding of what the gospel means. But also that fabulous um, bit where he talks about, you know, I didn't do anything, I just sat in the bar and drank beer while the word did its work. And yeah. I, I was just thinking about that again in, in terms of our current situation, um, you know, which as we look at the Church of England today, there are a lot of concerns, and we might talk about a bit more about that in a moment, but... Our natural response, I think, is to think, right, what we must do is have a strategy and we must have committees and we must, you know, plan how we're going to change things. And there doesn't seem to be a lot of let's just sit and drink beer and let the, let the word do the work. And <laughs> yeah, and I, it's a compelling strategy. It has to be said. It's a great strategy, isn't it? I mean, yeah. I, you know, he didn't just do that, but, no. you know, there's a, lo- there's a lot of that. And I, yeah, just looking at how God has worked in the past... Yeah. I think I think would help us be better at thinking about yeah. how he might work now rather yeah. than, than kind of having our own ideas about that. I think that's a good point. And just to add to that, I recently did some talks at my uh, old school um, called Moncton Coombe, which is disproportionately Christian. If you're a Christian, you probably know somebody who went to Moncton Coombe School. Um, and uh, I was preaching on Acts 17, which is one of my favourite chapters of the Bible with Paul in Athens. And I was making the point that... Um, uh, that it's clear from that passage that that God is in control. Uh, he has determined the exact places where they should live and all that kind of th- stuff. And it's very easy to look at the world around and just go, but the world seems out of control. And you say, well, that that may be. But if you if you read the New Testament, if you read a gospel account, you look at Jesus, you will see someone who was in control. And the number of times where he said something, people freaked out and he walked away. Um, we like to run after people. We like to win arguments. We like to. So we we worry about these things far more than it appeared that Jesus did. 
And so I think I think we are lacking that confidence um, in the word and in in what Jesus is doing. Uh, and he's, he's doing loads all over the world. He just doesn't seem to be doing that much here. But even here, he's doing stuff. He's doing quite a lot. Yes, I know. Yes. Um, so actually, you, I think this was um, in the play. But you know, one of the verses that I cling on to very strongly is. I will build my church, Jesus says. I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against mm. it. You know, so in the context of, yes, Peter, you'll be the rock and all the rest of it. But actually, we're not building the church. Mm. We, we can just trust Jesus to do yeah. that and get on and, and do... Other- we, get, we get to help. Yeah. And, and our help is like when my daughters try to help me, <clears throat> you know, make something in the kitchen. Um, where you involve them because you want to involve them, but it would be quicker and easier if they didn't. And a lot tidier. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <So> <laughs> no, I mean, that's no... You've met them, yes, exactly. Know, nothing against your daughters who are lovely. Jem, <laughs> um, you're on General Synod, and yes. um, that, that must be a fun and happy, joyous experience for you. It has its moments, it has to be said. <laughs> um, yeah, particularly over the last year, I guess. Yeah. Um, one of the things that, that I sort of hear being bandied around at the moment is the idea that perhaps we need a new reformation. Um, and I just wonder whether you have any thoughts on how the contemporary situation in the church might parallel that of the 16th century, how it might be different, what, what you think maybe the future... I mean, go on, yeah. you know, tell us all your predictions. Well, I don't have any at all um, other than it, it doesn't look good. Um, and uh, it was the last synod in particular was pretty eye-opening in terms of as far as many issues of concern, there is no middle ground anymore. So previously, um, lots of people who hadn't made up their mind would have voted to continue orthodoxy. Um, and those people now don't seem to exist within Synod. Uh, they may well exist uh, out in you know, the parishes, uh, but not in Synod. So that was quite surprising, really. Um, and that's okay. Jesus is Lord. Um, it is his church uh, at the moment. Um, but it is... What's the best thing to say, really, on it? There is a there is definitely a lack of confidence in God's word, and therefore a reformation based on God's word really does need to be, um, really does need to happen. Uh, it may it may happen. Yeah, I pray uh, in God's grace that it will. I was really struck by um, when we've been looking at all this stuff in our church uh, here in uh, Somerset, and um, reminded of Article Twenty of the uh, Church of England which, um, if I can just pretend to remember what that says, but actually uh, look look it up on the uh, WhatsApp thing that I sent it to, um, is all about how the, the church is not at liberty to make laws and canons. Um, here we go. The church hath power to decree rites and ceremonies and authority and controversies of faith, yet it is not lawful for the church to ordain anything that is contrary to God's word written. Neither may it so expound one place of scripture that it be repugnant to another. And so that article, um, ironically, our article XX, um, number 20, um, is, I I think, is something that we need to hold on to, which is it seems to me the church is determined to allow or even promote things that scripture does not and at that point, um, it, it breaks its own founding documents um, and to which we don't really know what the consequences uh, will be. Um, so 
And the, but the problem is the Reformation when it comes when it when it comes for everyone, it also comes for you, and it is and should be a deeply painful thing for all of us as we remind ourselves that we are not the people that God made us to be, and that we are not uh, following His word. And we, you know, conservative evangelicals like me are. You know, we have our favourite passages of scripture, and there are other passages that we don't look at so much. And um, so, you know, self continual self examination is 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 necessary but painful, and that's why most people don't do it. Yes, yes, there you yeah. go. And um, which again, I think, comes back to a little bit about what we were saying earlier about you know, reformations don't really happen by committees and strategies, but. No. Um, but it is the word, and also very often just three individuals, um, yeah. people with a passion for the word, with a passion yeah. for the gospel, and yeah. that's not something you can you can plan for. One of the things um, I was very struck by uh, in the play was when um, the the audience participation section, where oh, right. where we all had to sing one church, one faith, one Lord, yes. um, or as it is two church. Oh no, wait, uh, yeah. you know whatever it is now. Three churches, yeah, yes. Four hundred seven thousand churches yeah. now, and you know it is it is sad. I think that that even within the denomination, which is the Church of England, that seems to be increasingly uh, multiplying yeah. in its denominations and. You know, the sort of alternative to if alternative to that seems to be, you know, the the Pope and the Lutheran Church desperately trying to pretend that they agree about things mm. in order to reconcile. And I don't know, is it is there a future where we can imagine there being one church again? Um, um maybe in twenty five thousand years, depending on your post millennial theology. Um at the moment, um, humanly speaking, I, I don't see it. But also, um, what I like about... Because um, al although, in one sense, Luther sowed the seeds of dissent, which would go ever dissenting into the future. So, you know, we go from one denomination to three pretty quickly, and then into eight, ten, fifteen, thirty, three hundred. Um and the, the the beauty of the Reformation, which is why it's such a modern message, um, which is what I would talk about more in, in secular interviews, um, is that it is about reading the scriptures for yourself and making up your own mind. You do not need a mediator. Um, uh, you have one. He is the Lord Jesus Christ. So in a, in a way, the the... the the, the the toothpaste is out of the tube in that once you discover I can walk away from an, an institution uh, which calls itself a church and start another church, um, there's kind of no way back from that. You can't uninvent that as a concept. Um, but also, we do see in the New Testament um, uh, grounds for Christian disagreements that can be done heartily and faithfully and... Um, you know, I have, and 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 you can then see how unity works within that disagreement when you look at something like uh, the Gospel Coalition, which is not a perfect institution by any means. But you have Baptists, you have Presbyterians, uh, you have uh, people with different views on millennialism, and lots of different um, uh, views on church structure and governance. And it is a, generally speaking, a delightful union. Um, of people who all want to glorify the Lord Jesus Christ. And so 
I think we sometimes assume there needs to be one big monolithic institution um, that's some kind of Christian version of the NHS, um, where or the, the the socialist ideal of the NHS, um, where every you know and the railways and everything where it's identical. Um, yeah, or maybe more like. Um, <clears throat> you know sort of mcdonald's that it's the same wherever you go in the world yeah, you just turn yeah. up to one and it's yes yeah although it isn't because you obviously can't you obviously can't get beef burgers uh, in india um and you know and the recipes are different wherever you go and and that's because god has made us all different he didn't make us one race and one culture he made us all kinds of races and cultures and and that is genuinely to be celebrated the problem is if you only celebrate that you are missing out on what we were created for so um so yeah it, it is a in one sense, it, is a, it, is, it seems to be a sad legacy of the Reformation that we have dissent and disunity. But I, I would argue that that isn't necessarily as bad uh, as it could be because we can disagree with each other, but we can be in communion with each other. Um, so, you know, and I have... It might be 457,000 churches, but it still might be one faith and one Lord. Absolutely, yeah, yeah. And so I think our tendency also, we like to control things and we like to build empires because we can we can see them and they turn up on spreadsheets and things. Whereas actually, um, I don't think God's terribly interested in spreadsheets and that doesn't see how he appears to work. I'm not sure that's always uh, just a sort of um, uh, power thing. Just sometimes it's just a desire for more orderliness, whereas actually the church is just quite messy and muddled and, and mm. it seems like that's kind of okay. But... But, you know, some of us just want to tidy that up and, and put it all together. Yeah. Anyway, we, we should finish. Um, next year uh, is the 400th anniversary of the Synod of Dort. Um, and I just wondered if there are any plans for a tulip-themed show. Uh, oh, goodness. <laughs> Probably not. You know, tulips through, from Amsterdam and tiptoe yeah. through the tulip. I mean, it just writes itself, surely. It does, it does. No, it's true. I mean, an anniversary is a very good way of selling a show. And we've had a lot of interest in this show and it has been very exciting. Yeah. But uh, also what it does mean is that this show doesn't really have a life beyond this year. Um, so I would like to write something that's a little bit more... Uh, date proof and history proof okay but um, you are going to carry on writing these kind of questions i think so yes plays. i have an idea for doing a show which is all of jesus parables in one show um uh, but also i've got some one or two other ideas there's a show that i'm that i might do uh, which i might be uh, able to do uh because lovely though it is working with other actors it's a lot of admin so if it's a show where it just needs to be and me you that pay turns them up. and everything i <laughs> yeah do yes exactly it's it's just right one day the bunk sale might actually make money but um you know it does all right but yes so it is also worth saying that it is touring for the whole of the rest of november up until the 2nd of december and it's sort of dotting around all over the country they are crisscrossing it like mad things i'll, I'll put a link to the website on the blog post that goes with the podcast so people can find that and uh if it's in a town near you i urge you to go and and watch it and thank take, you very much take uh, uh take everyone you know take everyone you know yeah we did it at the edinburgh fringe where clearly we had lots of christians come and watch it but they brought their skeptical friends and you know we're used to we're used to that and they tend to enjoy it just as much they tend to laugh at slightly different jokes but that's all right um so uh, so yeah it is you don't need any knowledge you don't need any great affection for the church and hey even mark lawson in the guardian he's a catholic liked it and so did i very much as i say i will put the link to the Monksdale website where you can see all the remaining tour dates and if it is coming somewhere near you I really would encourage you to go and see it it was a really fun 
uh, hour and a quarter or so. And uh, as we said, just suitable for anyone, really. Next week on the podcast, uh, it's our book review strand. I'm chatting once again with Amanda and we've been reviewing Mike Reeves's book and Tim Chester's book, Why the Reformation Still Matters. So we'll be thinking about that, not just what the Reformation was about, but actually why it still matters in today's church. Uh, Do read the book if you'd like to um, let us know what you thought of it. We'd love to hear that. And do tune in again next week. I leave you now with another song from Amongst Hale, Purgatory, as you've never heard it explained before. Eternity